We'll hear argument next in case 09-11-12-1, J.D. versus North Carolina. Ms. Blackman. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. <clears throat> J.D.B. was only 13 years old when he was taken out of his middle school classroom and escorted to a closed-door interrogation conducted by outside law enforcement regarding a matter that did not take place on school property. He was isolated from his family, who had already demonstrated an interest in this investigation and sought to shield him from the police. He was not advised that he was free to leave or free not to answer questions until he had already incriminated himself. The restrictions on JDB's freedom of movement, which existed because of his youth, were heightened by the manner in which this officer chose to conduct this interrogation and the expected deference to authority figures, categorically characteristic of children, were taken advantage of by the manner in which this officer chose to conduct the interrogation. Mr. Blackman, I'm I'm not uh, uh, clear on on what you are proposing. Uh, Is there to be one different uh, Miranda requirement rule for all minors? Or is there to be one for, what, 20-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 18-year-olds, 17, 16? This, this one's 13. Do we, do we calibrate it uh, that finely? Just or do we just say, you know, what would a minor, I don't know, a, a general minor uh, regard as uh, uh, restrictions upon his departure? Uh, Justice Scalia, what we are proposing is that the test be a court may consider age uh, in determining whether a reasonable person in the juvenile I understand position. that. Uh, so so, so not, you mean 15, 14, 13, uh, 13 not, and a half, right? Uh, we did not suggest uh, that and, it be calibrated by age, although in state court jurisdictions many of them are and are not finding that a difficult it, test it, to perform. It's not, if, if not calibrated by age, how is it to be calibrated? It is to be um, the exercise of recent judgment by the judge, taking into account common sense, common our sense. community and, and, and experience. How, how is the law enforcement officer going into the uh, uh, confrontation, uh, going to know uh, whether a judge is going to be applying a 15-year-old rule, a 13-year-old rule, or whatever? Well, clearly, in the jurisdiction in which he practices, he should be aware of the fact that a court utilizes that type of uh, role, but we're not suggesting that that be done. What a court is examining is why, relative why, why youngness, isn't all relative that sub- subsumed under the voluntariness rule. As this court has frequently recognized, the voluntariness inquiry is more difficult for courts to perform than the Miranda custody one. And you have also recognized that. At least that it's the court th- performing it, not the interrogating officer, as Justice Scalia's questions point out. Uh, the police officer plays a role in uh, the voluntariness also, and the police officer must be assessing whether the circumstances may be giving rise to an involuntary confession. What about uh, mental deficiency? If, if age should be one of the factors deciding whether the individual regarded himself as in custody or not, why shouldn't mental deficiency be so as well? Is there any, any basis in principle for not uh, — I, I mean — once you do this, don't you, in effect, say that it is a subjective inquiry whether the particular individual regarded 
him or herself as being in custody. Is, isn't that the, the, the basis of what you're arguing? No. No? Uh, Why is age different for mental, mental deficiency, for example? Uh, age is different because, um, number one, uh, it involves restrictions on freedom of movement. So the circumstances of the interrogation are going to be understood and interpreted differently by a child than it would be by an adult. Secondly, we're talking about cognitive differences which exist between children and adults, which affects their perception and understanding. You could say both of those things about the mentally deficient. They may regard themselves as as unfree to leave, and they have cognitive deficiencies. As far as I know, there hasn't been the recognition in the law that there is, as to children, that groups such as the mentally handicapped are unable to. Well, what about this test, which comes from three cases, the first being Berkmer, the second Stansbury, and third, I'll tell you in a second. The, it is that those, what a, in considering a reasonable person for this purpose and avoiding subjective states of mind, you would look at objective circumstances known to both the officer and the suspect that are likely relevant to the way a person would understand his situation. All right? So both would be both mental illness and age and, I don't know, maybe whether you speak English and uh, a lot of other things would be relevant, uh, provided they are things that are relevant to how a person would understand his situation and are known to both the officer and the individual. The third case, of course, is my dissent in Alvarez. Correct. (laughs) But nothing in the majority conflicts with that. That I can see, except the holding, I thought I lost the case. But apparently it's up again. So so, uh, uh, I don't see why that isn't a perfectly good test. But if if you're not going to support it, then I've got no support. Well, we're simply making the point that there's not necessarily going to be a floodgate opening. And we have — No, no, but I mean what Justice Scalia was really asking is, do you favor something like this test that I read, which is open as to circumstance? Anything could fit in that blank, as long as both policemen and the the, uh, individual know it, and it is relevant as to how he understands the circumstance, whether he's likely free to go or not. Conceptually, absolutely. Yes, thank you. Right. Even, even if you said no, you're pushing us there, because there's no basis for treating uh, uh, ch- childhood any differently from these other factors. So basically you're saying, uh, J- Justice Breyer would call it objective circumstances, you know, whether you're mentally deficient, I would call that the subjective condition of the, of the person being held in custody, and I think I don't think that's what we meant by the phrase objective circumstances. But you want objective circumstances to include the character of the person being held in custody, whether he's mentally deficient, whether he's schizophrenic, known to the police, whatever factors, right? Those are all objective circumstances. Uh, Your Honor, what were you talking about um, are a uh, complex of characteristics which are unique to children, and that's what we're examining in Ms. this Ms. Blackman, what is complex about a juvenile investigator? That's what this police officer was. 
So he's investigating a juvenile for juvenile justice purposes. And I think there's hardly anything that could be more objective than that, that this case has child written all over it. It's an investigator who deals with children. The proceeding is going to be a juvenile proceeding. How can you not take that into account? It just whatever, whatever these other factors may involve, but here it seems to me so graphic because this police officer dealt only with juveniles and he investigated juveniles. I agree completely. Uh, this officer was assigned the case because uh, it had already been determined that a juvenile was involved. This is the uh, population that he deals with on a daily basis. He certainly uh, has a basis on which to assess how JDB's youth was factoring into this interrogation. And uh, is it your point that he uh, has to do something more than read the standard Miranda warning? Suppose he read the standard Miranda warning. End of case, as far as you're concerned? Uh, obviously, his age would factor into whether there was a valid waiver. But, yes, well, he has got to Mirandize or otherwise. Well, but it doesn't follow from your theory that we have to have a sp- we have to change the warning. Not necessarily. I mean, some children will not understand Miranda warnings, just as some adults don't understand Miranda warnings. But children, nonetheless, have to be given the opportunity to be told of their rights so that they can at least have the opportunity to make an informed decision. Are you asking trial judges to make a, a — to do something that is realistic? Do you think — Let's take a hypothetical trial judge who, let's say, is 60 years old and has an IQ of that's at least an average IQ. And now you're asking this trial judge to decide whether, under particular circumstances, let's say, a 14-year-old with an IQ of 85 would appreciate, under particular circumstances, that he or she was free to leave. Your Honor, a trial judge can really do that. State courts have been performing this analysis now for several decades, and they haven't uh, indicated that they have difficulty doing so. And to the extent that — They must have greater imaginative powers, then. What? They must have greater imaginative powers than I think I would have under those circumstances. Uh, Part of your question — You take a particular set of circumstances, and the judge would say, if I were 13 — I would not understand that I could go. However, if I were 15, I would understand I could go. Your Honor — Can you slice it like that? uh, What we are talking again about here is relative youngness and relative oldness. I mean, the empirical data demonstrates to us that the older a child is to an adult, the more adult-like they are. The younger, the farther away they are from that. We need empirical data for that? Excuse me? We need empirical data. Empirical data does exist. To show Simply that the, pointing that the out. closer to adulthood a child is, the more like an adult he is? I'm simply pointing out that the empirical data supports that. There are bases of Ms. knowledge Ms. do we need either imaginative can. powers or empirical data to know that when a 13-year-old is brought into a room in his school, taken out of class, four people there, two were police officers, one is an assistant principal, uh, threatened with uh, custody, that that person is not going to feel free to take off and leave? We do not. I'm simply pointing out that um, there is a basis of knowledge from which 
uh, courts, as well as police officers, can make the required assessment. Well, it sympathetic is so cases, sympathetic case, cases can make bad law. So take the same set of facts and let's hypothesize that this is a 15-year-old. Would the 15-year-old appreciate that he could go? Or make him 16? I or make him a streetwise 17-year-old? Mm-hmm. A judge should be able to consider that. And under the clear circumstances of this case, it is unlikely that. But when the policeman sees him, he's he's dressed in baggy uh, uh, jeans, uh, you know, down around his thighs. And when the judge sees him, he's wearing a Buster Brown jumper suit. Uh, you you don't really think that that it, it it's going to be equivalent. I'm not sure I understood the question. <laughs> Uh, The whole point — the whole point of the Miranda rule, I thought, was to provide clear, objective guidelines about what the police are supposed to do. And it seems to me that one of the difficulties with your rule, however clear it may seem in this case, but it does have to apply more broadly, is that that, that's off the table. And now they're not only going to have to know, does this person understand it, but they're going to have to know it's not every one of these situations is going to be in school. They're going to have to guess how old the person is. And there are differences. Some 15-year-olds know a lot more than some 17-year-olds and so on. And, and the facts that you're concerned about all go into the voluntariness inquiry, which is still pertinent um, after Miranda. Why don't we just put those facts into that inquiry and say, look, we've got one strict rule. Everybody knows it. You hear it on TV all the time. If you give the Miranda warnings, that part of it's done. Um, it doesn't change the rule itself. I mean, the rule itself remains all objective circumstances relevant to the custody determination must be considered. Uh, what it's doing is m- taking this out of the reasonable adult standard, which by default is the only one that can be used. And so it's not going to be muddying the waters in the sense that it is something needed in order to promote accurate fact-finding. Would it be uh, — is it enough if the officers in this situation said, look, you're free to leave whenever you want, but uh, — and then goes on? I mean, or do they have to think — now, maybe, maybe a 13-year-old really doesn't think that's true, or maybe a 13-year-old really doesn't feel that he can leave if he's got the vice principal there and they want to talk. I mean, that is a, an objective circumstance that occurs in the course of an interrogation, which is um, very weighty in determining if custody occurred. Uh, so you here, think it would not even be enough if they told the 13-year-old, look, you can leave, but I want to ask you some questions, and the principal is there, and he thinks, well, you know, maybe a 13-year-old, I, I can't, I'm going to get in trouble if I leave. It all depends on all of the circumstances which are arising during the course of the interrogation. But certainly advising someone that they are free to leave and advising them that they are free not to answer questions is almost half of the Miranda warning. And what if it the parent, is what if the the parent tells them not to leave? What if the parent says, you go and talk to this police officer? If you did something wrong, I want them to know about it. Talk to the officer. Uh, whether that would factor in depends, I think, upon whether they're acting as an agent of the police. Because what we're looking at No, no, they're not, not an agent. They're acting as a parent. Right. Uh, what we're examining is whether we've got a police-dominated environment and coercion in the situation 
and circumstances under which the child evaluates the — Are you answering my question? No, I'm not. Obviously, the specific factors that occur in the course of any interrogation will be considered. But our focus here is upon what the police officer must do. Would be one relevant factor that would be considered was that nobody called the parents? It is relevant in this situation because uh, by North Carolina law, uh, because a custodial interrogation was occurring, there was a requirement that a parent agree. How is that? How is that relevant to the Miranda inquiry? Might be relevant to the voluntariness inquiry, but it, but I don't see whether you call the parents or not. Part of his Miranda, your Miranda right is not to have your parents called. Uh, what I understood the question was: Was it relevant? Uh, that a parent was not contacted. In this particular situation, yes, because that was going to create an independent basis upon which this statement wasn't going to be admitted. And is it an additional independent, reason why? Independent of what? Uh, independent of Miranda. Well, I mean, right. That's my it, whole yes. point. But that is an additional reason why police officers need to be aware of what the age is of a child that they are interrogating because of independent obligations arising out of state statute. So is your answer to Justice Ginsburg that no, the fact that a parent was not notified is not relevant to the Miranda question? It may be relevant to the voluntariness question. Um, No, I believe it remains relevant to the Miranda question because — The question is whether he is in custody. And maybe there's something different about being in a room with a juvenile police investigator and a system principal and being in that same room with your parents there. That is correct. Oh, so it's not just that they have to call the parent. They have to wait for the parent to show up. Uh, because of state statutory requirements here, they were. Um, obviously, not every state has that kind of requirement. In this particular situation, there was a requirement of uh, parental presence. That's not, per, that's not pertinent to the federal law question on the Miranda warnings. I understand that, but I'm just explaining that independent bases may arise for which a, an officer has to be aware of the age. And um, given that, we're not imposing additional burdens. These are things that police officers have to be considering. What if the age of the person being questioned is unclear? Um, If the uh, interrogation is occurring under circumstances where the officer should have known, then I think the burden remains with the officer to consider this. And suppose the the person shows an ID and it shows the person is 19 years old and the officer looks at him and he says, well, this looks like a pretty young 19-year-old. If there is no way to verify the information that the uh, child is giving, then the officer accepts the ID as being the age of the child that he is interrogating. But what if, might, under my example, what if the child, what if the person looks like a minor but has an adult ID? Uh, I think Does the officer if, have an obligation to look behind that? Um, or the other way around, the, the, the person says, I'm 15, and the officer sees that this person has a pretty heavy beard and uh, — uh, the officer has to proceed on the basis of his observations. I mean, objective circumstances are things that are readily apparent. Uh, there can be circumstances which tell the officer that, in fact, he is dealing with a child, either the setting, uh, the appearance, the contact with parents, and so on. 
Uh, is there a good faith? If, uh, there, if there is no reasonable basis upon which uh, the officer could discern that this is a child, if he has no reason to know, then the rule that we are asking to be uh, put into effect would not apply. Does a good faith uh, mistake make it okay? Uh, if, you know, the, the officer in good faith believes that it's not a minor and, uh, uh, what we, and proceeds accordingly? Yes. I mean, what we would be assessing is, are the circumstances clear such that the officer should have known? And uh, if they simply could not ascertain it, um, then the rule that we're asking for would not apply. Um. The way you phrase the question, you say, may the trial, whether a trial court may consider a juvenile's age in the Miranda, to to make the in-custody Miranda determination, do you really mean may, so it's discretionary with each judge, whether a juvenile's age is relevant to the in-custody analysis? Um, No, it is must. Uh, As with any objective circumstance, uh, the Court has to take it into account. And we can't be relegating some to a discretionary um, review and others to mandatory review. So, yes, if uh, a child is involved in the case, then a court must take that into account to determine if there's custody. Are you saying, going back to the hypothetical that some of my colleagues posed, police officer comes across an individual, um, looks older, looks younger, doesn't know, um, and just engages that person and says, come over here and let's talk for a second. Is the officer required to ask the age? It's a simple enough matter, but no. But I think that so the circumstance that you're describing is a Terry stop, where Miranda is not coming into Perhaps not, but if, if it's outside a school, school corner. No reasonable mm-hmm. suspicion. Just says, come over here, kid. Is he supposed to ask the age to see if he's 19 or 18 or 17? We're not in a custodial interrogation setting, I think, in your question. And so Miranda is not coming into play at all. But, I mean, this is, it is a matter. This is a stop with no reasonable suspicion. And the kid comes over, and the officer stands him there and continues to talk to him for half an hour. If there is a custodial, if we have restraint on freedom of movement, which is rising to the degree of a formal arrest, uh, it's a simple enough matter to ask. So why don't we go back to the test that Justice Breyer suggested, which would answer many of the hypotheticals here, that the objective fact is what is known to both. What is known to both. Oh, that, that way you don't get into what the 13-year-old is thinking inside himself or not, because that then becomes subjective. You don't go back to what others might think are special characteristics or subjective characteristics. You go to what's known, what's an objective factor known to both. Yes, but I think that we can't be encouraging willful blindness either. And so, you know, if an officer encounters 
someone at a facility where only children would be, for example, like an elementary school or juvenile I think that's a clear — that's different. I mean, you, you can tell the difference between a 9-year-old, I think, and an adult, generally. Indeed. And, and um, I'm hard-pressed to think that um, anyone would believe that if you took a 9-year-old out of his classroom and the assistant principal walked him into a room and said, these guys want to talk to you, that that 9-year-old would think he's free to leave. I agree. All right. So objectively, that's a fact known to everyone, that it's a nine-year-old. Correct. Correct. I did well, — um, there have been a lot of questions to, that sort of presupposed that we are doing a subjective inquiry, and I think nothing could be farther from the case. What we well, are I guess not part doing of my problem is, is just — in some respects, hard to put the Miranda in the context of, a, let's say, a 13-year-old at all. It may be, but Miranda warnings say, you have a right to remain silent. Anything you say can be used against might, be, might terrify the, the kid just to hear about it. I'm, I'm just wondering how the Miranda warning works here anyway. The school is in local parentis. It has certain, it has certain uh, obligations and privileges with respect to the student. Well, Miranda is the only uh, procedure to date that anyone uses. And constitutionally, they are a, everyone is entitled to some advisement so that they can make an informed choice. I mean, whether there should be a more simplified or different Miranda warning for children is an issue for another day. But we can't simply say we're not going to do anything. We are not going to tell these children that they don't have to cooperate with the state in building a case against themselves. Could, could I go back to an, an earlier question? Is it your argument that age is the only objective individual characteristic of the person being questioned that must be taken into account, or are there other objective characteristics of people being questioned who fall, that fall into the same category? Um, I think that one's status as an inmate, for example, can be characterized as objective. And certainly that is being taken into account because inmates share that same baseline restriction on freedom of movement that children do. And so this court in Schatzer, for example, um, characterized it as what would the reasonable person in the inmate's position have understood as to his freedom of movement. So, yes, I mean, there can be other objective circumstances uh, individual to the person, but what are not they? I don't want to use up your rebuttal realm. time, but what, what are they in addition to age? Uh, for people who are not institutionalized or in school or in an environment like that, what falls into the same category as age? I, I think that's for other litigants to press upon this court, upon proper records, with input from experts as to whether it uh, relates to the special susceptibilities of children, uh, how um, cognitively different they are, which is affecting their perception and judgment of what's going on about them. Um, and those are questions for another day. Uh, if there are no other questions, I'd like to reserve my time. Thank you, Counsel. General Cooper. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, in determining custody for Miranda purposes, this Court has considered only the external surrounding circumstances of the question and not the attributes that affect the mental processes of the person being questioned. Age fundamentally changes the reasonable person test, makes it complex, makes it more illogical, with no logical stopping point 
for adding other characteristics, as Justice Breyer would add none, <clears throat> no others, no other characteristics? This Court has not said Well, I mean, here, uh, there's a big sign in the jail cell. The door is unlocked. When you want to leave, leave. Is he in custody? Well, Your Honor, I think you have to look at the obvious circumstance. Is he in custody? It's a jail cell. But a big sign, go ahead, leave, go when you want. Is he free to leave? I, I think he may be, Your Honor. Yes, yeah, so do if, I. If, I'll if just tell you one other circumstance. He only speaks Spanish. Well, Your Honor, I think it affects Ukrainian is the only thing he speaks. Now, are, are you willing to take that into account? Your Honor, I am willing to take that Thank into you. account. Now, I'll tell you another fact. Exactly the same, except there are very steep steps, and he's in a wheelchair. Are you willing to take that into account? I am willing to take that okay. into account. Then why aren't you willing to take into account an ambiguous situation, as was true in Alvarado, a tough situation where it's pretty unclear he was brought there by his parents, and there are all these things around that might suggest to a 20-year-old, yeah, you could leave, but to a 12-year-old, not. If the judge can take into account whether he's in a wheelchair, whether he just speaks Ukrainian, whether, in fact, the thing has to swim through a pool and he doesn't know how to swim, I mean, all kinds of things like that, why can't he take into account in a proper situation uh, before he thinks he's in custody or not things they both know, including whether he's 8 years old or 22? Your Honor, because those are obvious circumstances that everybody agrees. And it's obvious whether he's 8 years old or 22, too, I'll tell you that. The problem is, Your Honor, you have to think like an 8-year-old or think like a Mm 15-year-old in order to determine the situation. Right. And you have to think like a Ukrainian speaker or think like uh, 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 like a person who knows he's in a wheelchair before you know he can't get up those steep steps. I I think that — So what is exactly the — the, the difference? The difference is with the Ukrainian is that you look at whether the knowledge was actually acquired. And if he speaks Ukrainian, then everyone knows that the, uh, that the knowledge was not acquired. People understand that someone who has a CNI dog, if you take him out of the room, then you have ex- exerted coercion over the situation. I think that's different from requiring the officer to get into the mind of the reasonable 15-year-old or 16 I haven't said that. What the opinion said, which unfortunately uh, may mean nothing unless it's promoted uh, to the uh, uh, status of majority, uh, is you look to those factors that are relevant to, known to both policemen and the suspect, and are known to be relevant to the likelihood that a person, a likely person, not him, that are known likely relevant to an ordinary person's belief this kind of a person, that he thinks he's free to go. I that's think, all. What's I, wrong I, with that? I, I think that's right, Your Honor. In age, well, if it's right, then you well, — No, age is an, an objective fact. But okay. what, the, what they're asking us to do is to use the age in a way where you're having to figure out what, an, uh, what that person would think. And they're using age as an overgeneralization for compliance. There are lots of groups that would be — naturally more compliant, mentally challenged people, seniors in rest homes. There are all kinds of people who would be more compliant, but compliance doesn't necessarily equal coercion. But are you, you know the, the, the sentence I'm referring to in my dissent, presumably, we hope, when I, when I set forth the test, which was not accepted. Some people, you say you, some people don't read dissents. He may not have read them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, I, I live always in hope. I, I'm aware of it. 
It was a very well-worded dissent. Or, uh, well, I mean, the, the thing about known to both and relevant to a likely to, uh, belief as to whether he's in custody or not. Now, are you willing to accept that as a proper statement of the law? Because I'm willing to accept that, Your Honor. Fine. Well, then. But I don't perfect. think it includes age in the way they want to use it in this particular situation. What do you mean by use it in this situation? This is a middle, middle school. This is an officer who deals only with children. I can't imagine any setting where age isn't more apparent than we're dealing with an assistant principal, uh, a juvenile investigator, going, deciding, the juvenile investigator deciding the place where he wants to conduct this is in a middle school. I mean, just as a matter of common sense, how can you say that we're going to have the same test for this 8-year-old as we would for the 38-year-old? Well, Your Honor, the officer may not know the age, but if he does, in this situation he did, and, and if the officer is in a middle school, there is still a problem with having to figure out what his actions and how they, what they are and how they affect a juvenile of a particular age. In the situation of the eight-year-old, it may seem intuitively wrong, but the issue is, is you have to get into the mind of the eight-year-old. makes it very difficult as a practical matter. The officer is going to have voluntariness problems. If the officer would read Miranda, the officer is going to have waiver problems. Officers have, in those situations, incentive to read Miranda, to get a parent. In, in, in this type of situation, the officer went there. It, it was a familiar location to this juvenile. Uh, it was a situation where he knew three of the people in the room. The officer asked him if he wanted to answer questions, and he said yes. The interview was relatively short. The juvenile left at the end of the interview, which is, which is relevant. And I think in this situation, if, if, you have, if you look at it broadly, it's very difficult for officers to tell age and to tell how age affects the situation. He probably couldn't leave the classroom either, could he, the classroom where he was uh, studying? Your Honor, he probably could not. So uh, the, the additional coercive effect of not being able to leave didn't, probably didn't make a whole lot of difference. He well, knew he was stuck where his parents had put him in the school. And if the school sent him to a classroom, he had to be in the classroom. And if the school sent him to a place where he could, if he wished, voluntarily speak to the police officers, he had to be there. Well, I think that's right, Your Honor. I think you look at the school setting. We look at what is the normal school setting, just like we looked at the normal prison setting. He's in class. All the children are around him. This seventh grader was marched by the school security officer, taken away from his peers, from his class, from the gym, and put in a room with a closed door with the assistant principal. That is not a normal part of the school day. That's not where he is required to be. Well, Your Honor, I think feeling free to leave somewhere is not the entire test for custody. There has to be a restraint on freedom to the degree associated with the arrest. And I think that's pretty clear from the Berkeberg case. But you say associated with uh, a reasonable man, and when we construct the reasonable man, you're asking me to think of a 25-year-old sitting in a seventh-grade social, social studies class. 
Well, Your Honor, I think a reasonable — That's a little hard for me to imagine. Well, a, a, a reasonable person is one of ordinary reason and intelligence who knows what custody looks like, essentially, and is informed by 45 years of case law. If you have someone who is very young, uh, the, if you have someone with a, any other kind of disability, the voluntariness test is there. It, it considers age significantly in determining whether a state Excuse me, haven't we repeatedly said that it's going to be very difficult for a defendant to show that his confession was involuntary if there was no Miranda violation? Isn't well, the entire purpose of Miranda um, and its requirement because there was a belief that it wasn't uh, — that voluntariness wasn't enough — was not good enough because it was such a high bar to secure the privilege against self-incrimination? Well, Your Honor, I agree with that, but the voluntariness test was complex because you did consider so many factors. So the Court lifted the Miranda test out of the voluntariness test, made it an objective test, a prophylactic one, clearly that a different That doesn't answer test. my question. If we've said if you're not in custody, going to be nearly impossible for you to show that your statement was involuntary. Are you now accepting that um, with respect to age, because a nine-year-old may not feel free to leave, as opposed to a 13- or 14-year-old, that somehow we should instruct courts that age really needs to be stepped up in the voluntariness test? Well, Your Honor, in, in voluntariness, you don't necessarily have to have custody to prove that a statement is involuntary. And of children who are particularly young, that will come into play significantly. I think you don't have to get into turning Miranda upside down. So are in you order happy to with a rule that says, no, not in the objective Miranda test, but yes, age should be elevated as a prime consideration in the voluntariness test? Well, Justice Sotomayor, I think it is already a significant factor in the voluntariness test. And I think particularly for young children, I think you're going to see that uh, 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 continue to occur. General Cooper, I'm not sure how I understand uh, that I understand how this would be turning Miranda upside down. Miranda is already an incredibly complicated test about when those warnings need to be given. Right? So there are all manner of circumstances which go into the determination of whether a person would feel free to leave, whether a person would feel as though he were in custody. Uh, A thousand things, how many people are in the room, how long the interrogation is, where the interrogation is, uh, the particular circumstances of the interrogation. So this is not a bright-line test. And all that we would be doing here would be adding an additional objective factor to an already multifaceted inquiry. Justice Kagan, admittedly, sometimes Miranda has gray areas because you do look at a combination of factors, but it's informed with 45 years of case law. And officers now have a pretty good idea as to what combination of factors constitute custody for Miranda purposes. What age does is now we're going to have to go back in and reassess all of those combination of factors through the eyes of a 13, 14, 15-year-old, 16-year-old, it's going to be case law. That's going Why? To take- Why is that? I mean, we've seen two cases that seem like blue moon, once in a blue moon. Alvarado is an odd set of circumstance. And what is the terrible thing, the awful thing that, the, that has to happen 
if the officer isn't sure whether this individual thinks he's in custody or not? Suppose the officer just isn't sure. What terrible thing happens? Well, Your Honor, What you, is the answer to that question? Well, you over-Mirandize. You Mirandize oh, oh, yeah. when it's not necessary. The terrible thing that happens is you have to give him a Miranda warning. Well, now, now that, that is the terrible thing. Now, 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 why is that a burden on the criminal justice system that sometimes in ambiguous circumstances, or because this kid is very young, he might not understand it quite as well, and the officer sees that, the kid sees it, and so the officer has to give him a Miranda warning. Your Honor, now, what happens to destroy the criminal justice system, as you can see from my overstatement, I tend to suspect nothing, but you tell me no, what No, no, a, a lot. School resource officers, there are thousands of them. They're, li- they're licensed police officers, uniformed police officers, who often te- counsel kids as well as protect the school. Uh, under the petitioner's theory, a school resource officer who's going to take us uh, a juvenile into a room to talk about a stolen cell phone or bullying, the first thing that he's got to say is you have the right to remain silent. Now, that, in my opinion, disrupts the communication. Well, why not the first thing? Hey, kid, we're here talking, but you want to leave? Just open the door and leave. Go. Nobody's keeping you here. Now, why isn't that the first thing, if he's really free to go? Well, he may not want him to go, number one. Oh, 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 I see. see. Well, you know, you you, you want to talk, you want to talk to the kid. If you have a traffic stop, you don't want to immediately tell the 15-year-old driver you're free to leave, because he's not. It's just like Berkmer. He's not free to leave. Okay, well, then why not warn him? Well, well, no, because that's a Berkmer situation, a traffic stop. (laughs) Mr. Cooper, Mr. Cooper, for... Search purposes. Uh, is age consciousness required? Remember, part of this is the police officer then goes to the boy's home. The so police officer is uh, trained to deal with juveniles. And he says to the boy, you can't consent to the search because you're a seventh grader. I will have to get a warrant, so please stay here till I get a warrant. If he can't, if he's not treated like an adult for purposes of the search, if to get the warrant, if the police need a warrant because they're dealing with a seventh grader, why should it be different for in custody for Miranda purposes? Well, Your Honor, I think when you're dealing with voluntariness, when you're dealing with consent to search, when you're dealing with waiver, you are looking at the particular juvenile. You are looking at all of the circumstances. The courts have said that Miranda tests I thought that the, all of this police officer was looking at when he said, I have to get a warrant, is that he's dealing with a seventh grader, not all the circumstances. Very simple. Age. Well, it yeah, might, he, he's under the age of consent. It, it might have been in this circumstances that he, he didn't own the house. It was the grandmother who actually owned the house as to why he needed He can't consent to a contract. And, and, Your Honor, you're right. There are other categorical prohibitions on age across the board uh, in our law. But here what we're doing is asking officers to assess each situation based on the particular age of a juvenile, which makes it all the more difficult for the officer. You know, say, for example, you're at a, a, a Terry stop. And there are a number of juvenile-looking people there. And let's say they're 15 to 19, but the officer doesn't know it. He's at the Terry stop. He's going to be faced with 
potentially Mirandizing some of the people there and, and not, not others. That's going to put law enforcement in, in an untenable situation and make it very complex for them as to when they read Miranda and when they don't. And I think in addition General, to — do you agree with the Solicitor General's view that uh, uh, a blind person should be treated as a blind person for, for these purposes? I think I do, Your Honor, because — And a deaf person should be treated as a deaf person for these purposes? It's an obvious external circumstance. As is youth. Ma- As is youth, an obvious external circumstance that this boy was 13 years old. But you don't have to get into the mind of the blind person or the deaf person. The only issue is whether they have acquired the knowledge in, to, in order to be able to put General it Cooper, into the- I don't agree with that. You're trying to understand the situation as the blind person would have seen it or as the deaf person would have seen it or as the 13-year-old would have seen it. And I don't understand why it's different. Well, Your Honor, I think it's different because it has to do with something that is obvious. It is not necessarily obvious how a 13- or 14-year-old would view the situation. And and just in the the Alvarado opinion, the opinion says that sometimes the the permissible objective facts and impermissible subjective opinions sometimes merge. And it's — A blind person doesn't have a different mind. That's correct. A deaf person doesn't have a different mind. He just has less data, and it's easy to take account of less data. Easier to take account of less data than it is to take account of how how different one's mind is because he's 16 instead of 13 or whatever. That's the difference between the blind and the deaf, isn't it? I think you're absolutely — Yes. Absolutely right, and and yes, too, Your Honor. And and I think it's important to note that — we have already started going down the slippery slope in a number of states. There have been 11 states, contrary to petitioner's brief, that are considering other characteristics in Miranda, such as sophistication, such as education, such as intelligence. That makes it so much more difficult. And this Court has not hesitated. It did not hesitate in Alvarado. It did not hesitate in Berkmer to correct lower courts to say we've got to make sure that Miranda is complete, that Miranda stays clear and objective, and that we don't blur the lines. And if the law goes down that route, then one of the chief advantages of the Miranda rule, which is that it's a relatively simple objective test, is eliminated, and uh, the the law of, of Miranda begins to resemble the law of voluntariness. And maybe at that point there is no longer a strong argument in favor of Miranda, and the voluntariness test should be the sole test. We support Miranda. Your Honor, we support Miranda in its current form. We think it's appropriate, but I think clearly by adding age into the circumstance, it makes it more complicated. Your Honor, I would request, Justices, I would request that the North Carolina Supreme Court decision be upheld. Thank you, Counsel. Mr. Fegan? Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, there are three primary reasons why age should not be a factor in the Miranda custody test. I think the most important one is this. The only statements that are going to be suppressed under petitioner's rule that wouldn't already be suppressed by existing doctrine are statements that, first of all, the prosecution has I, carried — I'm sorry. I, I just said the only statements that could be suppressed, I just didn't The hear. only statements that are going to be suppressed under petitioner's rule, which would take age into account, that aren't already going to be suppressed under existing constitutional doctrines 
are statements that, first of all, the prosecution has carried its burden to prove are voluntary under a voluntariness test that already takes age into account, and second of all, are given under circumstances that don't otherwise meet the <coughs> definition of custody, that is, formal arrest or its functional equivalent. I think that's a relatively small and not a particularly problematic category of statements, and I don't think it's worth complicating the Miranda rule in order to make sure that those statements are suppressed. This to me, too. You have a blind person there. Everyone, you don't know how blind. He's somewhat blind. Deaf person. How hard of hearing? We're not sure. So the policeman goes a little overboard. You are free to leave. Or shows it to him or makes sure he gets it in. Okay, why is that so tough to do? Where you also have a 12-year-old? If he really is free to leave, just make clear that he knows it. Well, Your Honor, I think the critical difference between blindness, deafness, and other sensory disabilities and age is what Justice Scalia said a few minutes ago, which is that in the case of a blind or a deaf person, yeah. you can try to figure out what the circumstances surrounding the interrogation that are observable to that person are. But that's then, all we're doing with the young person. And, in fact, most of us, many of us, have a great deal more experience understanding the world through the eyes of a young person, our children, perhaps, than understanding the eyes, the world through the eyes of a severely sensory-deprived person. We're asking the exact same thing in both contexts. What is this person uh, think? What, what is this? What do the objective circumstances appear to a person in this situation? Well, Your Honor, I don't think you're doing the same thing, and I think it's easier to put yourself in the mindset of a person with a sensory deprivation than a person of a particular age. And let me explain why. I, for a person with a sensory deprivation, like in Justice Breyer's example of the sign that someone can't read, I think it's very common and easy for officers and courts to figure out how they would react to the situation if the sign simply weren't there. With age, what you're asking perhaps a 45-year-old officer to do, or in Justice Alito's example, a 60-year-old judge to do, is to put them into the frame of mind of a person that they haven't been for 32 years or 45 years. And I don't think that's a very easy inquiry to ask officers or courts to make. I think this is really going to complicate the Miranda rule by asking them, A, to do that, and B, because there are going to be many cases, unlike this case, where it's not going to be apparent to the officer what age the suspect is. One thing that comes up fairly commonly in many jurisdictions is that an officer will stop someone, on, do a traffic stop, someone on the road, the person will claim not to have their ID, and it'll turn out the person is 14, and they'll give the name and birth date of an older sibling. And there's simply no way for an officer in those circumstances to know what the age of the suspect is. If we is. limit it to when the age is known, if we limit it to, I mean, this is an officer who not only knows he's dealing with a seventh grader, but he decides the venue for the questioning is going to be a room in the school. I mean, that's, it's not a mystery. It's not a guess. He knows he's dealing with the seventh grader. He sets it up in the, uh, to ignore what the, what the investigating officer knows. The investigating <coughs> officer knows he's dealing with a child. Well, Your Honor, I think there are sort of two parts to your question. Let me deal first with a rule that would only apply when officers know the identity, know the age of the suspect. I think that rule would be easier to apply than the rule that petitioners are suggesting and would mitigate some of the damage. 
But first of all, it doesn't solve the critical problem of asking officers who aren't themselves 13 to think like someone who is 13. And second of all, I think for reasons that I think were apparent during uh, the argument by my friend on the other side, that rule might easily devolve into a should-have-known test. And officers simply aren't going to be able to deal with that. The the, the officer doesn't have to think like a 13-year-old. He has to think the way a 60-year-old judge would think a 13-year-old thought. (laughs) That's right, Your Honor, and it may depend what the — which particular 60-year-old — That isn't, to me, anyway, that's not the question. I don't think anybody's asking anybody to think like anything else. All it is, when you face a younger child, and he is free to go, and you mean he's free to go, you just sort of err a little bit on the safe side and make sure he understands it. That's all. Nobody has to think like anybody. All they have to think is, let's err somewhat on the safe side. Now, why is that tough? Well, Your Honor, I think that the main problem here is that it's going to create more confusion for officers because it's another factor they have to put into the test. Why don't we require Miranda always? Is there any harm in requiring it always? It never it, It's always easy to do. Why don't we require it all the time? Can you tell us why it makes a difference? I think it's very unrealistic that every time an officer opens their mouth, they have to give Miranda warnings. And I think it would fundamentally change the nature of police interactions with the public. The Court's — and the other reason the Court has never required it is that voluntary statements, the Court made clear in two cases last term, again, Maryland versus Schatzer and Bergwies versus Tompkins, are a good thing. And their voluntary confessions are a good thing. They're very helpful for law enforcement. And Mr. there's Fagan, no reason to — I'm sorry. <coughs> do, do you think that a, a, a person with Down syndrome, that that should be taken into account in this inquiry? I'm not sure how that would be taken into account, Your Honor. To the extent that someone with Down syndrome thinks differently from someone who doesn't have Down syndrome, I think that would be very relevant to the voluntariness test, but would not be relevant to the custody test, because it's going to be, again, very difficult to ask an officer to put themselves in the mindset of someone who has Down syndrome. I think the, the third so problem — is that different than blindness or hearing? A person with Down syndrome, many, some don't, show characteristics that they're not capable of comprehension or not capable of absorbing information. We're on they barely look at you. They barely, you know, there, there are characteristics that show you a lack of absorption of information. Your Honor, I may have difficulty dealing with this particular hypothetical because of my lack of knowledge of the particular symptoms of Down syndrome. But if you're dealing with a suspect who simply can't absorb information about the world, then that's going to be a sensory deprivation that's going to be taken into account because it's going to subtract circumstances away that that suspect can't perceive. But if you're asking about the mindset of someone who has a particular sensory disability, then no, I don't think that would be taken into account because it's asking too much of officers to try to put themselves in that mindset. And the third problem, I think, with factoring age into the custody test is that, and as I think Petitioner has effectively conceded, it creates a slippery slope problem. There really isn't a clear distinction between age and other things, such as uh, mental disorders uh, or cultural background, that defendants also will argue change whether they believe that they've been subject to a formal arrest or its functional. We don't want Miranda warnings to be given where they are unnecessary because they are only necessary to prevent coercion. 
and where there's no coercion, we want confessions, don't we? And Miranda warnings deter confessions. That's right, Isn't Your that Honor. Is that the basic reason? That's right, Your Honor. And I'd so it, it's not cost-free to require Miranda warnings. That's it's right. a good thing to have the bad guys confess that they're bad guys, right? That's right, Your Honor. That's what I was trying to say earlier, well, you, once you earlier. You, you, you are so quick to answer that's right. Isn't it so that the manual that this very officer was given to use said, before you question the child, give Miranda warnings? Yes, it did, so Your Honor. Apparently, I, the people who train these juvenile officers think it's a good thing, not a bad thing, to give a Miranda warning. Well, one reason they may think it's a good thing, and one reason I think the Court doesn't need to adopt petitioner's rule here, is that officers often will give Miranda warnings for precisely the reasons Justice Sotomayor was suggesting earlier, which is that when officers do give Miranda warnings, it's going to be — and those Miranda — the Miranda procedures are all validly followed. There's not going to be uh, a real robust voluntariness inquiry, because in most cases where the Miranda procedures have been followed, the statements are going to be found to be voluntary under the voluntariness test. And if I could actually add uh, uh, an answer to Justice Scalia's earlier question, Miranda isn't simply concerned with coercion. The Court made very clear in Oregon against Mathiasen that Miranda isn't attempting to capture every, quote-unquote, coercive environment. What Miranda is directed at is a specific environment. Thank you. You can finish your sentence. Specific environment, namely custody, which is defined as a formal arrest or its functional equivalent. Thank you. Thank you, Counsel. Uh, Ms. Blackman, you have three minutes remaining. I think what's uh, very odd in this case is that the only party that didn't consider JDB's age was the courts. I mean, it was clearly being taken into account by Officer de Costanza, and JDB was fully aware of his own age. And um, under Thompson versus Cohane, what a reviewing court is supposed to be doing is immersing itself in the actual circumstances of the case. And without this consideration of age, then the courts are examining hypothetical because uh, hypothetical interrogations and not the one that was actually occurring in the case. Officers have to make judgments about every objective circumstance that arises, and asking them to make objective uh, determinations on juvenile status is no different and is not going to muddy the water. I think, as um, Justice Kagan pointed out, custody is a very difficult issue. It's not subject to bright-line rules. But we can't be defining it in such a way where we are requiring these children to be someone that they never could be, and that is reasonable adults. Um, if our goal here is to uh, ensure reliability of fact-finding, reliability of statements, uh, if we want to reduce the coercion to which our citizens are entitled, then this rule needs to be put into play. And we ask that the North Carolina Supreme Court decision be reversed. Thank you, Thank Counsel. You. The case is submitted.